Well, markets seem to be optimistic that the inflation wave can be written without us all crashing down on a rocky outcrop somewhere. So are they right? People are still spending in the United States despite rising prices. Some of it is dipping into savings. Will they keep doing that? Is that the theory that is keeping markets happy right now? Well, there's certainly been no bad data at the end of last week to challenge that thinking. But there's a lot of numbers this week, so stand by. It's Monday, the 30th of May, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Welcome along. Well, not much movement in U.S. Treasuries on Friday, but the moves we saw last week have been mainly at the front end. Two years down, almost 11 basis points. Ten years down, just four. Uh, you remember two years fell quite sharply on Tuesday in the U.S. on the same day that the equity markets fell, but bond yields haven't p- picked up since then, unlike the share market. I mean, for all the talk of a bear market, the S&P 500 picked itself up last week and managed to rise almost 7% over the week, including a 2.5% rise on Friday. That is the biggest rise of the year for any one week. The Nasdaq uh, it was up almost 7% with a 3.3% rise on Friday. Uh, but whilst the US indices were all up more than 6% over the week, the Eurostoxx 50 was only up a little over 4%. The ASX 200 managed only half a percent, uh, saved from being in negative territory by that 1% rise that we saw on Friday. And the CSI 300 in China lost 1.9% over the week. The unsung hero in the Forex world was the Norwegian Krona. It uh, it climbed 2.8% last week against a one5 4% fall in the US dollar on the DXY index. Friday was a good day for the Aussie dollar as well. It climbed 0.9% to 71.6 US cents. The Kiwi dollar did almost as well, but over the week, somewhat better, almost 2.2% up compared to 1.7%, the rise in the Aussie. Uh, but against the falling US dollar, all major currencies did well last week. Emerging markets levelled out in line with the falling dollar. And oil definitely on the rise last week. Brent was up 6.1%. 1.7% of that was on Friday. WTI climbed just 1.6% over the week. Uh, it was, uh, wasn't was a good week for iron ore, down three quarters of 1% over the week, but climbing 2.7% on Friday. But they are just the numbers. What's the real story about what's going on? Uh, I wonder if Ray Atchell knows from NAB in Sydney. It's hard to say, isn't it, really? But I, I guess... Equity markets keep on going up because there's no bad news. Uh, I mean, we got a fair bit of data on Friday. It was pretty mixed, wasn't it? But no big departures either way. Some of it was a, a little better than expected. Some of it was a little worse than expected. But it, 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 neither of it, in, in either direction, no particular really big moves from what we were expecting, was there, on Friday? Yeah, morning, Phil. I think that's a, that's a fair summary, really. I think it's, you know, the market certainly seems to have adopted a glass half full approach to, um, mm. um, you know, to in many aspects of, of markets, not least the equity market. And um, probably fair to say that some of the concerns that have been plaguing um, equity markets for much of this year in terms of the risk of uh, of a US recession or global recession um, have taken a little bit of a backseat and also, you know, having endured a string of sort of upside inflation surprises, um, you know, for, for much of the last sort of six to nine months, the fact that, um, you know, last Friday's key release, which was that PCE deflator, um, came in as expected rather than higher than expected, I think sort of mm. played played with the grain of, of, of the, the sentiment that maybe, just maybe, 
the Fed will be in a position to um, to take a pause before the end of the year. Um, those comments obviously encouraged the previous Friday from um, Raphael Bostic from the Fed and receiving a little bit of sucker from those FOMC minutes, or at least the um, the sections that the market chose to latch onto. So, um, you know, we have seen a little bit of a, a repricing for the Fed and we've seen the US uh, yield curve sort of bull, bull steepening. So what well, twos were off best part of 10 basis points last week. So, yeah. you know, I think that's certainly sort of helped the um, help the equity mood. And as you say, what, 6% plus gains for across all of the three indices. Yeah. So uh, the other thing we saw was uh, personal spending month on month increased 0.9%, which is a, a tiny bit more than expected. Uh, so prices are going up. Um, but it's not stopping spending yet. So you could say that's a good thing, couldn't you? Or you could say it's a bad thing because doesn't it reaffirm the need that the Fed is actually going to have to go hard if, we, if we're still buying stuff, even though prices are going up? Because we don't know how much of that, or do we? How much of that is people just buying the same stuff and having to spend more? Uh, or are they spending less and spending more? You know, it, it, it's, the, it's the volumes, really, we should be concerned about, isn't it? You're sounding more and more like a two-handed economist, Phil, but, um, but you do make some... I've been talking to you for too long. That's what's been happening here <laughs> you do make some good points though but yes um what's what i find interesting is that that in real terms so you know adjusting for prices spending was up 0.7 percent in the month and so the headline number 0.9 is a little bit higher than expected so prices might have something to do with that um, but then you look at consumer sentiment um you know we had the final read of university of michigan's uh, reading on mm. friday and that was actually lowered compared to the preliminary and at 58.4 um, is a new post-March 2009 low. Um, so, yeah. you know, discuss the strength of, sa- uh, strength of spending. But then when you look at the stock of excess savings you know, relative to, to, you know, where we were before the pandemic, there is still something like $2.2 trillion sloshing around in households' bank accounts compared to where they were pre-pandemic. So however much people yeah. might be feeling pessimistic, they are very, very cashed up. And I think that is sustaining. Oh, yeah. well, it's going it down, for, you know, it, it is going down, though, isn't it? $41 billion a month. I mean, but, you know, OK, there's $2.2 trillion sitting there. So uh, it's just going to take a while for that to happen, I guess. No, it is, yes. So, so $41, $41 billion a month, divide that by 2.2 trillion, and uh, you've got many months of, uh, of, of, mm. of consumers able to keep the spending, even though in terms of you know, the actual savings ratio, so look at their current income versus current spending, um, yeah. you know, savings rate was down to 4.4%, which is the lowest since 2008. So it really is that excess stock of savings yeah. that's sustaining the consumer for the time being, at least. Right. So do you think that is why we're seeing this optimism in the market? But of course, it also, you know, going back to the point that I made before my two-handed economist remark, if people have got the money to keep on spending, then they're not going to stop buying stuff and then inflation is going to keep on rising. Well, that, that's possible. But also remember, we are seeing, you know, signs of this sort of rotation away from goods and, and services. And I've been reading quite a lot mm. about, um, you know, goods piling up in, in Chinese ports. So for all the sort of pessimism about what the, the lockdowns in China you know, are doing in terms of the ability to actually, you know, run the factories. You know, the reports are that goods are accumulating. And we did see a big fall off in imports into the United States in the trade numbers that came out on Friday. Uh, and obviously, we had those reports from various retailers who seem to have overstocked. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of rotation away from, from good spending is, is certainly underway. So whether that does show up in, um, you know, in weaker prices or, or lower
lower um, retail and wholesale margins remains to be seen. But um, I think key is going yeah. to be what happens with uh, with service sector inflation, and you know that's much more of a wage driven affair. So we'll certainly be keenly um, you know looking forward to the payrolls numbers at the end of the week, and particularly what those average earnings show. Yeah, before we I mean, maybe we'll talk about that a bit more in a second, just on this on this idea of uh, you know this uh, this rotation, we certainly saw that, didn't we? With Australian retail spending on Friday uh, up 0.9% month on month in April. Uh, again, you know, this is the same question, how much of that is people buying the same things but paying higher prices? Uh, but but we also know a chunk of that was people, uh, you know, switching from buying goods, buying stuff to actually buying food and travel. And on the food side, actually a chunk of it was also supermarkets, wasn't it? It wasn't just eating out. So people were, so either were spending more at the supermarket, we were either eating bigger meals or more likely we're getting, you know, getting friends around more often because well, it's like we're, both, allowed to, we're, we're buying more yeah. food and eating it and we're going out more and eating it. So there's, 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 a, there's a health warning I think we need to... <laughs> <laughs> we need to attach to the retail sales numbers. So um, a bit more pedalling on the bike, I think, for many of us in the, in the months ahead, if that's really what's mm-hmm. happening. But but again, certainly signs there of, of a bit of rotation. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we do like to go out and, uh, and eat and drink. And then certainly that there's evidence that, um, you know, with, with pretty much all restrictions um, over now, um, that that is starting to take place. But uh, again, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, how sustainable is that? And, and, and what's happening with, with wages? So we're keenly awaiting things like what the Fair Work Commission are going to uh, are going to hand down, uh, which should be later next month in terms of uh, in terms of minimum wage recommendation, and you know that will obviously feed expectations for how much of this sort of anecdotal evidence, if you like, of, uh, of stronger wages growth is going to turn into to, to hard reality in the second half of the year. And that obviously, you know, in turn has implications both for, um, you know, the health of the consumer um, inflation and what it means for the RBA. Yeah. And, you know, and how is uh, demand holding up as well? And on that, we've, you know, just as they've got money stashed away in the United States, there's 200 billion in savings in Australia as well. So are we going to dip into our pockets and uh, and use that? Well, that might play into the uh, into the GDP numbers that we get. We get to the last of the partials on Tuesday, the balance of payments, and then we get the numbers themselves uh, on Wednesday. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Look, if we do see that we are doing well, that the Australian economy is continuing to grow, maybe we manage to keep inflation in check more than anybody else. Can the Aussie dollar sort of stay ahead uh, on that basis? If we see things turning worse elsewhere and there's a more uh, risk on market globally, normally that would hit the Aussie dollar. But if we're doing really well, could that offset that? And we just because we're seeing better growth uh, than most other places. Well, I think that excuse me, the key really is you know as we always say in uh, in the FX world that I inhabit that the Australian dollar you know, isn't really made in Australia. It tends to be made globally, mm. but obviously the you know a key sort of conundrum, if you like, uh, in the, much of the last year, really going back to the middle of 2021. You know, has been that commodity prices relevant to Australia, the so-called terms of trade, you know, have been elevated, and yet that hasn't been reflected in relative strength in the currency, which is very much in defiance of, of most of history, um, going back all the way to the the floating of the currency back in 1983. So, um, I think we're, we're more interested in saying at some point. You know, if, if commodity prices remain resilient, um, you know, a bit of a scratch record, but we probably rely on the US dollar, you know, continuing to, to ease lower and clearly it's some way off its highs here. Uh, and then we might see a bit more of a reconnection between commodity price strength and the Aussie dollar. Um, as far as the domestic economy, yes, if, if it 
is the case that on a relative basis it's doing better. Um, you know, other things equal, you'd say that that's good news for the currency. But then you have to consider just how much tightening is already priced into the Australian money markets. Um, you know, which mm. we think is probably more than the RBA is likely to deliver. Um, you know, certainly as we, you know, as we get up towards sort of two percent, then we're approaching the sort of levels where you know household debt servicing costs are going to be comparable to uh, you know to sort of pre or post GFC and pre pandemic levels. Um, you know, so but so if the market is forced to actually take out a little bit of tightening, then other things equal that that's a, that's a negative. So yeah. There you go, and a two handed yeah. interpretation Again. of the Aussie dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I asked. Uh, look, uh, the Norwegian krona I mentioned at the beginning was uh, you know one currency that's doing particularly well. The reason for that, obviously, is because uh, they've got oil and they've got gas, and uh, we're happy to buy from them because we like them more than we like the Russians these days. Well, I mean, we didn't like them when they were Vikings, but these days they're all right. Uh, so uh, that can explain that. Look, the EU might have come to a halfway house when it comes to sanctions on uh, Russian oil. Basically, it seems if it comes by pipe, which it does to Hungary, uh, then it can carry on. But if it's an import by sea, then maybe that won't be allowed. Now, whether that means that everyone is then going to drive their trucks up to Hungary and uh, queue at the end of their pipeline uh, and get the oil that way. I mean, that's the question, isn't it? If you have these halfway house measures... Uh, you know, do, do they actually achieve anything at all? Well, um, uh, to be honest, I think I'm, I'm assuming that this is Hungary holding out for some kind of, you know, f- sweetheart financial deal from the rest of the EU. Um, but, um, but, but the latest reports I've heard is that uh, the EU talks have been delayed because Hungary is continuing to hold out. As you say, the, the weekend report from, uh, from Bloomberg, I think it was, saying that, uh, yes, this might be the compromise. But um, I don't know. I'm not the commodity expert, so I don't know the logistics of whether the pipe is, is fat enough or can pump oil fast <laughs> enough that it can replace oil that would otherwise be delivered into the EU in, in a seaborne way. I suspect not, to be honest. But, um, mm. but clearly something happened to be done to placate Hungary and the fact that it's the landlocked EU country that um, you know doesn't get yeah. any of its oil from uh, out of tankers, for example. So you know whether or not that happens, I think it's still important. The oil market is still trading as though they think there is a good chance that there is going to be that embargo. But I would say that risk markets aren't taking on board the economic yeah. implications of that, and, and in particular, if there is an embargo agreed, you know what is going to be Vladimir Putin's response and whether we see disruptions to, to gas supplies as we head into the northern hemisphere winter i think is absolutely crucial as far as um as far as uh, sentiment towards the eurozone economy is concerned mixed signals everywhere isn't that look we get uh, an important inflation figure today uh, which will almost certainly be driven by the price of oil german cpi the only number of note today it could be high couldn't it given fuel costs presumably and then the flow-on effects no that's right so have a look at the eu harmonized numbers which would feed into the um you know the eu wide numbers we're looking for a rise to 8.1 percent from 7.8 percent so that would be a new um god i don't know how far you have to go back to uh, to see a higher number than that um so i think that will be uh, of some interest and obviously we've been used to seeing some upside surprises particularly from germany so i think that's one to watch tonight i'm also uh, mm. keen to see what the latest eurozone confidence readings uh, come out of the european commission and that covers economic sentiment industrial confidence services sentiment and consumer sentiment so the extent to which 
you know, the, the war is continuing to weigh on sentiment there. Um, obviously, we've had some pullback in, in things like gas prices, for example. So whether that will have fed positively or not, um, it'd be interesting to see. And China's PMIs this week as well. Uh, so what impact is zero COVID having? Officially, the Shanghai lockdown finishes this week, doesn't it? June the 1st. So we'll see whether that happens or not. But it'll be interesting to see those numbers as well. Just one final question before we go, because it is a short week, isn't it? It's Memorial Day in the United States today. The UK has Thursday and Friday off to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. So a short week with quite a bit going on. So does that mean on the days when everyone is on board, particularly because we've got month end as well thrown into the middle of all of that, uh, we're going to just see a lot more volatility on those days? Well, quite possibly. And certainly, you know, in the world of foreign exchange, where, where you know, London is still the dominant centre and they're out on Thursday and Friday. And it's um, it's a night when we get the US payrolls numbers, um, as well as the um, manufacturing ISM on Wednesday and the services one on Friday. You know, both of those numbers have, have potential to cause a fair amount of volatility. And if liquidity, you know, is at a pre- absolute premium with the London outs, then uh, certainly there's the potential for, um, as you say, a fair bit of, uh, of volatility. So we're cramming quite a lot of um, important mm. news into um, into a much short, a shortened week as far as the US and, and London is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And, and talking about London, Boris Johnson is going to uh, allow imperial measures to be used in UK shops over the uh, long weekend. So uh, pounds and ounces, just as a sort of homage to the, to the Queen, uh, not pounds, shillings and pence. That would be interesting, wouldn't it, if you had to suddenly change the currency over there. So yeah, homage to life as it was back then. And you can even, you know, if your chimney needs sweeping, you can send your kids up there as well. It's, uh, you know, everything is old is new again. Uh, and now I've got visions of you in your purple, your purple um, Jubilee hat as well. Yeah. And that, this is all too much for a Monday Yeah, morning. no, I don't think I'll be doing that thanks anyway uh good to talk ray catch you soon well do cheers phil and that's at the start of what i'm sure is going to be an interesting week that's the morning call from nab and phil dobby back again tomorrow morning see you then thanks for listening